This is a conspiracy channel. Tape 3. Welcome to the Hush Channel. Who are the biological children of sin, who is presented today as the angel Gabriel? His children do stand tall in modern day despite your belief. The two children of sin that are of interest here are his twins, Ishtar and Shamash. Ishtar often has variant origins and is sometimes alluded to being an offshoot of the goddess Ki. But Ishtar is also listed as the child of sin. You will see the same extension of the goddess Ki into being Ishtar and latter developing belief systems such as the different eras of Kemet, where Ki is Hathor, but later as Kemet ages, facets of Hathor assimilate into becoming the deity known as Isis. It is no coincidence Ishtar and Isis are similar in name. They are the same deities, different regions. Ishtar is also known as Inyana, who is also known as the Queen of Heaven near Ashtarte to the ancient Canaanites, Isis to the indigenous Egyptians. She is Aphrodite in ancient Greece. She is also Europa to the ancient Greeks, of whom the entire continent of Europe is named after. She is Ashtoreth to the Israelites, the deity Biblios to the ancient Phoenicians of the land of Canaan, whose ports serve integral for the transportation of papyrus from Kemet to Rome. The Bible was coined after the deity Biblios by the Roman Catholic Church. Ishtar is Venus, the morning star, to the ancient Romans who constructed the Bible, meaning biblically she is Lucifer. She is Kali to the Hindus, the goddess Nuwa to the ancient Chinese. She is Semiramis, the wife of King Nimrod and mother of Tammuz, and also prior wife of Noah's grandson Cush, who is the son of Cam. Nimrod apparently slayed his own father Cush and married his father's wife Semiramis in these plot of events, which was not unusual in those times when dethroning a clan head, but it does not stop there. Ishtar is the eastern star, the matron of the Freemason order of the eastern stars. From Ishtar comes Eastar. Get it? Easter. East star. With Timus being her child, he is the patron of Valentine's Day. That cherub represents Timus, except cherubs do not look like that. The Statue of Liberty faces east in reverence of Ishtar, as it is actually a humongous idol of her. In tape 2, we discussed how Sin, whose by name is Gabriel, is represented by the crescent moon on the flag of Islam. With Ishtar being his daughter and representing the morning, eastern, and evening star, the star next to the crescent moon on the flag of Islam represents Ishtar accordingly. Ishtar is the most prominent female entity amongst the Anunnaki pantheon in terms of her being mentioned in Mesopotamian epics. She is the daughter of Sin. Biblically, this means that Lucifer is a female and Lucifer is the daughter of the angel Gabriel, meaning Lucifer is technically the grand daughter of biblical Yahweh. Not only that, but the Bible is also named after Lucifer as Biblios is Ishtar's Phoenician by name. As you can see, the Anunnaki did not go anywhere. They are not simply ancient aliens or the gods of the old. They were assimilated into every developing belief system of mankind in one way or another. All deep dives into religion and myth will always point to them. Ishtar's twin is the deity Shamash. Shamash was also called Yutu and serves as the ancient Mesopotamian sun god, the god of justice, morality, and truth. In Sumerian texts and art, Shamash is depicted and described as a long-bearded, long-armed, older man. He was said to emerge from the doors of heaven every day at dawn and ride across the sky in his chariot before returning to the interior of heaven through a set of doors in the far west every evening. Cylinder seals often show two gods holding the doors open for him as he wields his weapon, a double-edged, arc-shaped saw with long, jagged teeth, representing his role as the god of justice. Shamash's main symbol was the 
solar disk, a circle with four points in each of the cardinal directions and four wavy diagonal lines emanating from the circle between each point. This symbol represented the light, the warmth, and power of the sun. Venus shines so brightly that it is the first star to appear in the sky after the sun sets or the last to disappear before the sun rises. Its orbital position changes, thus causing it to appear at different times of the night throughout the year. In fact, the ancient Greeks and Chemites believed that Venus during its different positions from morning to night was two separate objects. Venus looks like a star with a naked eye, though it is actually a planet. Unlike stars that emit their own light, Venus reflects the light from the sun which also rises in the east and sets in the west. With Ishtar being Venus, the morning star and evening star, and Shamash being the sun which is the other morning star, we see how these twins work together. These twins had such a close relationship that it was often considered to be potentially incestuous. Shamash and cultures that came after Mesopotamia was Ra to the indigenous Egyptians, Surya in Hinduism, and Helios to the ancient Greeks. It is not surprising that Shamash is the personification of the sun as even the book of Enoch attests to there being creatures that pilot the sun and moon and this is represented in a lot of old art. And I looked and saw other flying elements of the sun, whose names are phoenixes and chalkhydri, marvelous and wonderful, with feet and tails in the form of a lion, and a crocodile's head, their appearance is empurpled, like the rainbow, their size is 900 measures, their wings are like those of angels, each has 12, and they attend and accompany the sun, bearing heat and dew, as it is ordered them from God. Thus the sun revolves and goes, and rises under the heaven, and its course goes under the earth with the light of its rays incessantly. Of Shamash being a sun deity, it can be thought that he is the actual chief commander of the phoenixes and Chalkadri who pilot the sun and are ultimately minor Anunnaki entities. Piloting the sun sounds crazy until you stop looking at the sun as a giant orb of gas and look at it as machinery, such as the machinery the Anunnaki operated beneath ancient Kemet to control the water flow or the literal technological floodgates placed along the dome that houses earth and these are the literal floodgates that keep the waters of outer space from flooding inside the dome of earth again old art shows beings inside the sun and moon perhaps it is a large machine or spacecraft and there are certain anunnaki commanders who are in charge of a staff of lower anuna entities to operate this craft such as shamash deity of the sun he perhaps is the chief commander of the celestial body we call the sun which is actually a highly advanced mechanism the reason shamash is of interest is because when you dive into the background of biblical prophets elijah machesdick two men with no origin no lineage and without death in theory they can't trace back to being Shamash. Let's get into it. Melchizedek is one of the most interesting figures of the Bible. Melchizedek's name has conflating definitions. On one hand, it could translate to meaning king of righteousness. And on the other hand, in archaic Hebrew, it translates to my king is Zedek. Zedek is a Canaanite deity that was worshipped in pre-Israelite Jerusalem. Zedek in Phoenicia was a weather, fertility, and vegetation entity whose Roman equivalent was Saturn. But female companion is Tanit. Tanit outside of Phoenicia was known as Astarte. Here we go with Ishtar. Remember, Shamash and Ishtar are ancestress twins like Cersei and Jaime Lannister of Game of Thrones. But following this trail, Zedek was considered the king of gods to the Phoenicians. He, after all, is the sun god. Zedek in the Jewish Kabbalah or Jewish mysticism mimics the archangel Zadkiel, whose name means God is my kindness as he is the archangel of freedom, benevolence, mercy, and the patron angel of all who forgive. 
Zadkiel is said to have been the angel who prevented Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. He is the archangel associated with the planet Jupiter, just like Enlil. In Islam, Zadkiel is one of the seven gem kings and is associated with the day Thursday and associated with being Shamash. The only story we do have that places Melchizedek with some kind of lineage derives from Enoch. It is quite odd, however. The last section of the second book of Enoch is called The Exaltation of Melchizedek, and it tells how Melchizedek was born of a virgin woman named Sophonim, who was also called Sopanima. Sopanima was the wife of Ner, and Ner was a brother of Noah. Melchizedek came out from his mother after she had died and sat on the bed beside her corpse. Sopanima, his mother, had died giving birth to him. That is horrible, but it gets strange as it is stated that Melchizedek was born already physically developed, clothed, speaking, and blessing the Lord, and marked with the badge of priesthood. He was a literal man-child that ripped through his mother's womb because of how he came out. 40 days after birth, Melchizedek was taken by either the angel Gabriel or Michael to the Garden of Eden and was thus preserved from the flood without having to be in Noah's Ark. In other words, Shamash was sent to earth as a human just like Enki was sent to earth as baby Jesus. Transference of consciousness is real. We see them working up to this level of technology now with metaverse and that's just one example. But this is the Anunnaki. They are our creators. They are aliens. They are beyond our knowledge. So the science has been mastered by them long ago. When you look at the comedic deity Thoth, the teacher of civilization, you learn that this technology, this transference of consciousness was used. He was the teacher of civilization and would transfer his consciousness into different avatars when appearing before different civilizations. You know how long ago it was that Egypt was called Kemet? So to say that they are beyond advanced is an understatement? It is an understatement. So here Shamash is being saved by his grandfather Sin whose by name is Gabriel and Gabriel is also the protector of babies. The scenario is why Machete is said to have existed prior to Noah's flood and this is exactly how. The lack of Enoch being in the canonical bible causes so much confusion, question, and abandonment of faith. But Chesedek in the Bible is first introduced in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14, long after the flood, verses 18 to 20, when Melchizedek blesses Abraham after his return from defeating the Elamite king, Chardalamer, where Melchizedek is considered a priest of the Most High, and Abraham pays a tithe to him because Melchizedek was not just a high priest, but the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. In other theories that follow uncoverings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, Melchizedek is the Archangel Michael, and that is why Michael and Melchizedek have priorly been theorized to being similar in pronunciation. However, following the clues, Michael is just another by name for Enlil and Biblical Yahweh. According to some theorists, however, Melchizedek is also said to reappear as Jesus. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and surpassed by. In John 8 and 56, Jesus states to the Jews that your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw Jesus' day. Wait, what? The Jews listening to Jesus immediately understood him to mean that he had met Abraham himself. That's why they said in the next verse, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. They were actually right to question this, but in the theory that Melchizedek and Jesus are simply reincarnations of the same entity, as Melchizedek lived during Abraham's life and met Abraham, Jesus would have actually spoken 
directly with Abraham if he was previously Melchizedek. So he likely was not lying, but their brain would not be able to wrap their minds around this concept, especially not in that day and age. This theory is ironic in that the Jews were looking for a savior that would be a king of Israel, a literal king of Israel, and lead them from oppression. Instead, they received Jesus, a fisherman, not of nobility nor seeking it out, very humble beginnings and being. In the theory that Melchizedek and Jesus are the same entity but in different form, then with Melchizedek having been the king of Israel during his day, this means that Jesus was actually the king of Israel that the Israelites were seeking. And this theory does also incorporate hermeneutics when it comes to Jesus being called the son of God and actually being the son, S-U-N, God, as in Shemesh. This is son worship. Elijah is a prophet of God who is known to be a miracle worker. The book of Malachi prophesies Elijah's return before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is basically saying Elijah will return before humanity before the rapture. Elijah is like Enoch and Melchizedek. Elijah was raptured up to the heavens by what the Bible calls a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, meaning Elijah never had an earthly death, as far as we know. And he was instead taken up to the heavens in an array of biblical poetic words that describe an alien spaceship. God instructs and shares the forbidden knowledge of the heavens with Elijah. Elijah is seen performing what we today would call sorcery but the Bible would consider it miracles and blessings. It is believed that before the rapture both Enoch and Elijah will actually come back to prophesy and witness. Some people say Elijah and Melchizedek. We just know there'll be two of the three people that we know of that was raptured up to the heavens and never had an earthly death. I will say though that Elijah has a lot in common with Melchizedek and that they have ambiguous origin and did not die whereas Enoch too did not die but Enoch does have an origin story and it is a humane origin story at that. But let's take a look at the environment Elijah possibly grew up in. After the death of King Solomon, the 12 tribes of Israel had a civil war and eventually split into two separate kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Judah which was composed of the two southern tribes which were Judah and Benjamin. And then there was the kingdom of Israel which was composed of the other 10 tribes. The book of Kings is about all the different wars that occur amongst the 12 tribes and then the civil wars that would occur in the two resulting different kingdoms that spurned from the 12 tribes separating. The northern 10 tribes that made up the kingdom of Israel would have a series of their own civil wars as each tribe fought for a person of their very own tribe to take the throne of the kingdom of Israel. Elijah would have grown up in a consistently war-torn environment. There's no background of Elijah except that he was called a Tishbite. Tishbite is said to have been a town in Gilead, Israel, somewhere inside the tribe of Manasseh or Gad near present-day Jordan. The location varies and is unknown, as you can see. However, the words used in the original manuscript to describe Tishbite in reference to Elijah could be rendered as saying, Elijah the dweller from among the inhabitants in Gilead. And this is interpreted as meaning he was not a native inhabitant from Tishbite in Gilead, but that he had dwelled there for a period of time temporarily. Sort of like how if a person moves from North Dakota to a small town in Nebraska at 18 years old and they remain a mystery the entire time that they lived there in Nebraska. They are not social and they just work their land, they eat and stay to themselves. And then 30 years later at 48 years old, they decide to move one small town over. And all the people there know by word of mouth that the new mystery person in town came from the town next door. They do not know the birthplace of this person so they just call you the man or woman from the next town 
town over. Even though you aren't from the town over, you just lived there for 30 years. You are really from North Dakota. This is what theoretically occurs with Elijah and what makes his origins mysterious. From the Bible, we can see he is not a person to talk unnecessarily. And when he speaks, it is with purpose. He has a strong sense of duty and is very cutthroat about it. Talking specifically to only those that he needs to and who God tells him to. So he is a man about his business. But rather, Elijah was sent down on a mission to do Yahweh's bidding in the middle of Israel's utter chaos. Or rather, he was an actual Israelite who grew up in the middle of pure H-E-L-L because of all the wars. He had to have been a very tough, stern figure that would not bend nor fold when faced with opposition. So Elijah did not play around. In the second book of Kings, in the second chapter, Elijah does something kind of messed up. And it reads... And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back, and looked on them, and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tare forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. In just two verses, Elijah does something that displays disproportionate violence and sorcery. He was traveling when some little kids from the city began teasing and mocking him because he had a bald head. They must have been really sucking it to him because he turns around, looks at them, and curses them in the name of God. Just like that, two bears came out of the woods and mauled all 42 of those kids to death. As for Elijah, this does not stop his show by any means. He just carries on about his merry way to Mount Carmel and then Samaria, which is the capital of the kingdom of Israel. But who knows, maybe Elijah foresaw that these kids would grow up to wreak havoc and nipped it in the butt. So without much more context, what Elijah did was inhumane. It would make sense if he were a psychopath or a colonizer, but this man was a prophet of God. This is why it would make sense if Elijah was not human and was actually an Anunnaki figure, just like Enlil, who is Biblical Yahweh. The figures who stood by Enlil during a period where the Anunna entities were divided between siding with Enlil or Enki, the ones who sided with Enlil, they definitely lacked empathy for mankind. They were very stoic. Just like Elijah, whose entire disposition speaks volumes. With this being said, it would actually make more sense if he was a human incarnate of Shamash, who is the grandson of Enlil, also known as the biblical God. It would certainly explain so much. But in conclusion, perhaps Elijah, whose name means Yahweh is my God, was an Anuna subordinate of Enlil. And perhaps Melchizedek, whose name meant my king is Zedek, Maybe Melchizedek was simply a subordinate of Zedek, which is the by name of Shamash, the sun god. Or maybe they were both incarnates of Shamash himself. Their demeanor, their character, their sense of duty and unearthly origin with no earthly death as they were raptured to the heaven, which is the religious way of just saying that they went to outer space. All of this can point to these two prophets theoretically being ancient aliens. Anunnaki. End of tape three.